Um, but the safest crowd, really big crowd I was ever part of was we, we, we were in London on a, on a bank holiday in 2002. Uh, daughters were teenagers. The younger one said, hey, could we go to London for the day? We said, yeah, sure. So we went to London. We walked around lots of London visiting sites and what have you. The end of the day, we had a meal at a pizza place I knew in Beak Street in Soho, came out into Regent Street, sorry if you don't know London, came down to Pall Mall on our way back to Waterloo, and there was crowds of people, and we thought, well, and I was really unaware of it, but it was, the, it, was, it was the bank holiday for the Queen's Jubilee, and there was this big do in the Mall. They called it Party in the Park, just like it was last night. And we followed the crowd, we went into the Mall, and we were there for this fantastic concert, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, it, it was great, you know, there was, it, the Queen played, not the Queen, you understand. Um, Cliff Richard, Phil Collins, Brian Adams, Joe Cocker, Ray Davis, finished with Paul McCartney, my personal hero, I have some of their singles. And uh, the crowd singing Hey Jude together, it's a fantastic anthem, it was just brilliant and such a safe crowd to be with. So to the Queen, many thanks for 70 years of service. Uh, and. Um, I'd just actually like to quote, there's this great book, The Servant Queen, was published on her 90th birthday. And in here, the people who wrote this says, uh, uh, the Queen's trust in Jesus Christ is central to her. And you can see it in so many ways. She doesn't have to invite a, a different church minister every weekend of her Balmoral holiday to spend time with her family, but she does. She doesn't have to go to church every week, but she does. Similarly, she doesn't have to stage a children's Christmas party in the Buckingham Palace stables, hoping it, quotes, helps to bring the traditional story alive, but she does. She doesn't have to find out which children have won prizes at the Sandringham Estate Sunday School, then pay for and present the books to them, but she does. And she doesn't, does not actually have to mention Jesus in her Christmas addresses to the nation and the Commonwealth. It would be easy to reduce the birth of the incarnate Son of God to a gift-giving festival. But she does mention Jesus Christ, and always as the climax of the broadcast. We thank God for our Queen. God save her and preserve her. Now, I sometimes think that Christians will probably always be monarchists. Uh, why? Because the kingdom of God is a monarchy, yes? And uh, one of the ways you can summarize the whole arc of the story of the Bible is in terms of the kingdom of God. So one writer, Vaughan Roberts, has actually presented it as this sequence of uh, the pattern of the kingdom, which is when Adam and Eve were set up as vice regents, God's representatives to bring his loving rule into the earth. Then the perished kingdom, because they messed up. The promised kingdom, God revealed himself to different people, preeminently to Abraham, to, to promise there's going to be a new king. I will raise up a king who will represent me truly in the earth. And then we get a partial kingdom under King David where something of the rule of God was perceived, uh, but that failed as well. So then we got the prophets prophesying the coming rule of God, and then Christ arrived, God's chosen king, um, to, bring, to start his rule, bringing his rule back to earth. And then Christ left and he poured out his Holy Spirit and sent us to proclaim this coming kingdom. And then one day Christ will return, the return of the king, and the kingdom will be perfected. Now, as I say, this talk is, about, is the fifth and last talk in a series about mission. The mission to tell people across the street and across the seas about God's chosen king, Jesus Christ. 
So uh, we, we tell by words and deeds that Jesus is God, made man, who came to bring us good news of amnesty for rebellious humanity, to tell us that God wants to reconcile us to himself, to bring heaven and earth back together under his chosen King Jesus, because God is kind and full of love. It's also part of our message that God is just and he will not ultimately tolerate evil in his kingdom. So before he can bring about the fulfillment of his kingdom, there will be judgment. And Jesus did not give a message only of words. He came to take the actions necessary to open the way for God to be reconciled to us. We've been singing about it this morning. He was crucified to deal with our guilt and shame and enmity. He was resurrected to life as a guarantee that in him we can live forever and he ascended to heaven and poured out his Holy Spirit so we could join his mission and call others into this destiny. So today we come to this place of the Holy Spirit in this ongoing mission. And as Chris, if you're a Christian, you're both the object of God's mission and the subject of his mission. You've been the object of his wooing love, bringing you to know him, and we are the subjects. We join him in this mission, reaching out to others. And that's because God is on a mission. God is missional. Three great missions of God are described in the Bible. Um, so it's a slide for this. Um, so we have the mission of the Father creating the material universe and specifically us creatures made in his image to know him, then the mission of the son becoming a human being to rescue his image bearers because we were no longer reflecting God's image well, and then the mission of the spirit carrying on the work of Jesus through Jesus' followers. And that's where our focus is today, although it's very difficult to separate out because God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are one. So as a Christian, I've sometimes had people say to me, your faith gives you such peace or whatever. I wish I could have a faith like that. Have you ever had anyone maybe say that to you? It's hard to know to how to reply to a statement like that because there's a kind of veiled insult in it, I always think. You know, It's like, I wish I could have a faith like yours. That is to say, I wish I had the ability to believe things that are not true. It's just that I'm not that kind of stupid. I'm different to you. I'm rational in my assessment of things, whereas you're irrational and you are that kind of stupid. So you are able to believe things that are not true. I, I, you may not feel that at all if you're not a Christian, but... <laughs> But, you know, there are some, you know, the, the new atheists who can be a little bit in your face about these things. I am almost certainly a lot more stupid than I think. And, um, but on the day I turned to Christ, what prompted me to make that first step was, was uh, a credible argument someone gave to me that Jesus could indeed be God. Uh, and that reason was a, a ground for me making that first step towards God. So is becoming a Christian all about reasoning then? Well, yes and no. There, we, we do reason and we should make a reasonable case. But it isn't really an intellectual process. It's not irrational, but it goes beyond reason. And I think the Holy Spirit's involved. And I think human beings are not primarily thinkers. I think we're primarily lovers. I think because we're made in the image of God. And of course, God is rational and he is, he's wise and understanding. But he is love. And uh, how and what you love is way more important than what you think. You see, there are some decisions, I suppose, you sit down and you get a piece of paper and you put pros and cons. Do any of you ever do this over a decision? Maybe you do sometimes. But you know, most of the time, you've already made up your mind. You'll have the blue one. Um, or whatever it is, okay? 
And because love it causes most of our instinctual decisions just to happen. You know, those occasions in a shop, if you still use cash, and cash can be a very good way to run your life, by the way. Um, you, you're in the cafe, it's a big queue of people, you place your order, it's going to cost £6, you hand over a £10 note, and the barista gives you a £20 note and £4 coins back. Big queue, it's an urgent moment. At that instant, you don't do a pros and cons, or you don't get out a piece of paper and start doing pros and cons. Instinctually, you either pocket the money, or you insist, hey, that's wrong and you get it corrected. That's because of whether you love honesty or you love money more. It's to do with your love. That's what controls your instinctual reactions. That's why we say the Bible was not written to make us fall in line. It was written to make us fall in love. And when you love right, you live right. Whoever has our heart will also get our head and our hands. That's because human beings are lovers more than thinkers. And the Apostle Paul, I think, was writing about the primacy of love over thinking in, in 1 Corinthians 8. It's on the slide here. Knowledge puffs up, he said, while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. To love God is so important. And Jesus also uh, taught that knowing him was not mainly a rational decision. You know, to... To know God is not like knowing how to set your phone up so all the photos get saved to a cloud service. Right? That, that's one kind of knowledge. To know God is to know a person. So Matthew 11, Jesus said at that time, um, Jesus prayed, Oh Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. There's something about God's call to humanity that insults our intelligence. And I think that's wonderful because, you know, you don't have to be very intelligent to know God. You, you, you might have, you, you know, special needs or whatever. Everybody can know God because it's not a mind you need to know God. It is a heart that you need to know God. And uh, he goes on, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father. And no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And he's at work revealing him. And that's why the next thing Jesus says is this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Can you hear the heart of God wooing you? Can you hear him drawing you? He loves you. He's kind to you. And this is how our God speaks to us. He speaks to our heart more than he speaks to our mind. He does it to speak to our minds, but he speaks to our hearts. So to know God is not is to know facts about him, but it's also to experience his presence, his kindness, his love, and yes, his yoke, which speaks of how he harnesses us into his service. Another great objection to the Christian faith is I cannot believe in a God who's not tr tr 
true. Sorry, one earlier, as I mentioned, is I can't believe in a God who's not true. But I think many people say, I can't believe in a God who's not good. But God is good. And, you know, the yoke of service is, is, is the Holy Spirit embracing our lives and wanting to uproot all the rubbish out of our lives and sanctify us. But often, you know, we skive those classes as Christians. I'm sorry we do that because church history is littered with stories of churches and Christian leaders who frankly have behaved appallingly. And we can't defend that. We have to say, put our hands up and say, yes, lots of Christians behave badly. But don't judge God by how Christians behave. In fact, I might even say this. God is so faithful and kind that even when we as his children mess up, he keeps being on our side. He's not happy we messed up, but he keeps being on our side. That's extraordinary. That is amazing. That is the God that we follow. On, um, to quote the Queen, I think this is actually her words this time. She says, this is in 2011, she said this, although we're capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. The list could go on. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families. It can restore friendships and it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. Good words from a good queen. So this whole experience of welcome, of, of challenge, because God does challenge us when we come to him, of joy and sanctification, of conviction of sin, but also revelation of forgiveness is mediated to us by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 14, the Apostle Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living, uh, living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. The Holy Spirit mediates us righteousness, peace, and joy. We'd all like that, yes? And he mediates God's love to us. Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. Paul says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. We encounter many trials in life. Many things can be useful in those times. Good friends, therapy, medication for some of us. But we Christians also have access to the Holy Spirit. Let's not neglect to go to him and say, Please fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit who brings righteousness, peace and joy. Are you at all thirsty? But God would never want me, you might be thinking. I've made such a mess and even if I start to follow God, I'll only mess up and he'll reject me. But the thing is, like I said earlier, God is amazingly loyal. Even if you deny him, 
he will not deny you, the scripture says, because he couldn't deny you, because to deny you would be to deny himself, because he has promised to receive you if you turn to him. Isn't that amazing? In John 6, we have a record in the Gospel of John of Jesus' words. However, those the Father has given me, Jesus said, will come to me, and I will never reject them. Those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God, who sent me, not to do my own will. Verse 39. And this is the will of God, this is the Father's will, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Oh, don't you just love the promises of God? Receive them, believe them, hear what God has said. Hear and believe. I can lose things, can you? I lose stuff. I, I, I led the project to refurbish the office where I work. It's about 20 people, quite a small office. Total redecoration, we replaced all the chairs, all the desks, everything. New partitions between the desks, the whole lot. And uh, during that, I lost the safe key. Right? We only had two safe keys. Fortunately, there were two, so there was another one. And... Um, as an aside, I think as the Holy Spirit gets in your life, you learn to fess up much more quickly. And I did fess up very quickly. Hey, I've lost the safe key. I needed to because we had to use the safe and the other key was somewhere else and that person had to lend it to me. Um, but back to God, though. God doesn't lose stuff. He doesn't have a reorganization. and th Oh, dear, I've lost Andrew. Right? He's promised, I, I will not lose you. He's not going to lose you. I don't care what mess happens. He will not lose you. Incidentally, I prayed and I did find the key about two years later. So, the, the safe key. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God's Son. By receiving him, we receive a deep assurance that we often sing about, that we are God's children, that we belong, that we have a family, that we'll never be excluded. Galatians 4, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. I hope you know something of the Spirit of God crying out in you, Abba, Father. It's difficult to overstate what we're taught here. To be forgiven by God is a wonderful thing. But to understand that we are now his child is even better. Do you know we can say this? I dare, dare you we can say this. We are as much a child of God as Jesus Christ is because we have received the spirit of the Son. Now clearly he was the Son of God from eternity. We only start at some point. There's clearly a difference. I'm not saying we become God. But we are as much a child of God as Jesus Christ is. 
going to have to skip some slides here, Rob, by the way. We just, um, so we're no longer a slave, but God's own child. I think that's amazing. I remember one of my daughters telling me about a friend at, at, uh, when she was studying whose dad had quite a poor period of mental health, ill health. And when he got better, she said, Dad, let's have a weekend together. We'll go to London. They were f- from the north. And they had a weekend in London together. And uh, so, and this is, this is what happened to them. They were in this queue to go to Madame Tussauds, you know, where all the waxworks are. And they got cup- chatting with this Canadian couple who were visiting from Canada, obviously, in the queue, and they were chatting away and laughing and all the rest. And then the Canadian couple asked them, so where did you two meet? And there was like this awkward moment where they realised the Canadian couple thought they were a couple. And, uh, and then, so my daughter's friend said her dad said, well, we met in hospital when she was born, you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, but but the, the fun thing about the story was that the, the young woman said that thereafter, throughout this weekend in London, she said, Dad, Dad. She kept calling him Dad because she didn't want anyone around to think they were a couple, right? <laughs> Christians, we should be calling God our Father, Father, Dad, loads and loads because he is our Father. So you can, it's great to pray to Jesus, but it's good to pray to God as Father. So um, the, the, it's wonderful to be a child of God, and um, so I, I, think that, I think that's great. So now the Spirit also, he doesn't just get us to become Christians, he then sends us out, and Ellie's already quoted from Acts 1, if we could jump to the Acts 1 slide, Rob, sorry. Um, once when he was eating with them, Jesus was always eating with people. And even after the resurrection, he still ate with them. That just proves that the resurrection body is a physical body. So he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he says about that, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it wasn't that they had to do this, it's that they got to do this. We get to do this too. So we are God's fellow workers. You define this often, several times in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul particularly says that we're co-workers with God, right? So uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9 is a slide here that says that, you know, we, we are fellow workers in God's service. And he describes the different roles. Some people had become Christians in the city of Corinth. Apollos had preached Christ to them. Paul had. And, and Paul says, you know, verse 6 there, I, plant, I planted the seed. That's the Apostle Paul. Apollos watered it. But God has made it grow. We're partners with the Holy Spirit in mission. That, I think the latest Top Gun movie is out soon. Is it out already? And, and you know, I think that, that Climate Kilmer, is it, will reprise his role as one-time rival-turned-wingman to Tom Cruise's character, Maverick. And, um, you know, the Holy Spirit wants you for his wingwoman, for his wingman. He wants us to partner with him. And when we go into situations, you know, the Holy Spirit's already there. It's not that we're trying to get the Holy Spirit to come with us. No, he's trying to get us to go with him. So Jesus spoke of this witness in John 15, 26, 27. He says, when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit is on mission amongst our friends and neighbours in our cities, in our world. 
and you also will bear witness. There's, a, there's co-working, do you see? The Spirit is bearing witness, we are bearing witness. So that's why we pray when we are on mission. It's not our job to make people be interested in God. All we have to do is find the people that the Spirit of God is wooing already and to help them on their way. So, um, you know, I thought Andy McCulloch last week spoke so well and so powerfully. He gave many really practical suggestions about how we help people realize that God is good and that he has a, a something, a message for them and he's calling them to himself. He said three things, look, that I picked out. There were 11 points, three to five with this dialogue, not monologue. Start with common ground, be genuinely respectful. And I just want to say the Holy Spirit wants to help us do that. You know, find common ground. Be open to dialogue. Let's be good listeners. I remember talk, I was helping with a church, with a new church starting in Dorking in Surrey. And I got talking with this lady. And once she realized I was a Christian, she says, oh, you won't want to talk to me. And, and I said, why is that? And she said, well, you lot think I'm of the devil. I said, oh, okay, right. Um, and I thought, my lot, so goodness, one of, some of the other Christians have already got to this lady and not been very helpful to, to my mind, right? And, um, and I said, well, why is that? And she said, well, because I'm into healing and things. And, and I thought, do you know, we have common ground. We're, we're into healing, aren't we? And if other people are into healing, surely that's common ground rather than saying she's of the devil. Do you, are you hearing what I'm saying? We might think she's going about it in not quite the right way, but why don't we find the common ground instead of, you know, build a bridge instead of a wall? I think it's a good advice. And I think it's the sort of thing that um, Andy was talking about. You know, sometimes I found in myself as a Christian, I'm so hung up on being right that I neglect to be kind. And I think God wants us to be kind. You know, let's not lead with where we disagree. Why would we do that? It's not friendly. I was... You know, you know, I came to Christ as an adult, and then I was kind of inducted, this is a long time ago, you can tell from my age, into an idea that Christians alone were right. And um, I, think Christ, I think Jesus alone is right, but I'm not sure all us Christians are always right. <laughs> but God's very kind to us anyway. So, um, but I remember this story about, told by some friends who were Gideons. Gideons are a Christian group who print Bibles and give them away. And they put them in schools, put them in hotels. You heard of Gideon's, yeah? And they had a call one day from this assistant manager at a hotel chain who said that the, the manager, who had a new manager in the hotel who told him to go and clear all the Gideon Bibles from the hotel and throw them in the bin. Uh, but he had found out who the local Gideon group was, made contact and said, I, I thought you'd probably like to have them back. I, I'm not prepared to throw them in the bin. He was a Muslim. There, we, we, have, we, we should find common ground and treat people with respect. So, you know, God is... Uh, God, I'm going to have to jump a whole load of things here because I'd like to get to the end. Um, so there's, if we go to John chapter 7, if you can leap forward that far, Rob, it's, isn't it wonderful having someone to tell what to do? It's, uh, <clears throat> I guess the Queen has people like this. Don't anyway... This is about the, what Jesus says about receiving the Holy Spirit. Because I just want to remind you, feeling thirsty for him, would you like to be refreshed in that sense of being a child of God? Do you know how to just sit sometimes and let God love you? How, how, do you know how to 
engage that in some way. It might be, a, might be you put something on YouTube and just lay flat on the floor. Great song about God's love. Maybe it's a passage of scripture to meditate on. So let his love come deeply into you. Not just to know that God loves you, but actually to receive the love. It's so important that we do that. Because primarily, as I said earlier, we are lovers, not thinkers. And God wants our hearts. Because when he gets our hearts, he gets our head and our hands as well. So it's chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, on that last and greatest day of the festival, they would take a jug, probably an elaborate jug, they would jug, they would go down to some pond pool somewhere, they would scoop up the water and they would process, singing certain psalms to the temple and, and on one of the doors of the temple, I can't remember which one, they would pour the water out and remind God of the prophecy of Ezekiel about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You can, some of you remember it, but I, just to put a bit of context here. And on that very day, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And he was saying, the promise of God is now fulfilled in me, not in the temple. You don't need a stone temple. What you need is me. And if you come to me, you'll be able to drink of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes in me, verse 38, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit. Be thirsty. Go to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Drink and receive. Drink and receive. Maybe you haven't even turned to Jesus. Remember those words we read earlier. Come to me, from Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And John 6, 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Perhaps we could have some music. I'm just Let's take some time now. We just have some, some bit of music. And I want to, we won't sing just yet. We're going to let God love us. Maybe for the first time you're going to turn to Jesus and say, I want to accept that promise. I'm going to come to you and believe that you will never drive me away. You're going to let the love of God be shed abroad in your heart. You might find it helpful to turn your palms upwards. If you wish, you can stand or you could move out into the front or the aisle and kneel or lay down. It's Pentecost Sunday, the day the Holy Spirit was first poured out. 
Holy Spirit, please come among us afresh. Anoint us with your power. Shed abroad your love in our hearts. us more like Jesus. You come to bring joy, to bring peace, yeah, to make holy. As we allow you more and more into every part of our lives, we begin to dislike evil things and foul things and base things. And we begin to delight in all that's good and lovely and pure. all hope Holy Spirit you bring new hope because you made us and you know how to fix us and fit us up and clean us down give us a brand new fresh start and you say once I you turn to me I will never reject you I will never leave you Receive him. what we have so it's so important that we keep being filled with the blessing of God with his love with his peace 
so that we know we can generously offer it to others. So this, this song is a song in which has the line, you know, your love is chasing after me. I hope you know that. It is. And so you may sit or stand or whatever. I suggest we sing this song. It says, you know, I fell in love with this world. We get our values all mixed up. We, we think we're going to be captain of our own destiny and make our own way. But you know, the best thing you can do is to surrender and realize God is chasing after you and he has made a way. So let's sing this together or just stay enjoying God, whichever you prefer.